Hey, uh, great to see all of you. We're talking this morning, in our, or in our last, actually, in the series on the narrow path, and um, <clears throat> we're taking our a lot of our cue from Matthew chapters five through seven. And so, um, if you want to, if you've got um, the Bible already downloaded on your um, on your phone, or you have something else with you, um, you can follow along. I've got a few verses, but um, what I'm going to do is, again, kind of do a quick scan through Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, and uh, we're looking at today the why behind the why. Have you heard this before, the why behind the why? This is the, this is the question of what's behind the reason why you say you do what you do. Let's, let's, let's go behind that question. So it's easy to say, here's why I do what I do, but... Then there's the question that goes beyond that. Well, why do you do that? So, for example, if you say, well, I, um, you know, I go to work uh, um, to earn money. Okay. Why do you go to work to earn money? Well, isn't that, isn't that self-evident? You know, you get to survive, right? Okay, so for you, it's survival. Um, yeah. So what about purpose, meaning? What about... Um, Getting out of the house, what about uh, staying busy? Because if you're not busy, you're going to get yourself in trouble. There's all sorts of other reasons that we do what we do beyond just simply the straight up answer we oftentimes give. Uh, and Jesus is the master at this. He, he, he does this so well that it really troubles everybody around him. <laughs> Particularly those who hide behind the religious garments if you know what I mean. And there's plenty of that today. Plenty of that. My, my biggest struggle is actually more so with Christians than it is with non-Christians, by far. Because what happens when people are in the church for a long time is that it's so much easier to actually have spiritualizing as a good way of defending why you do what you do. There's this moralizing and spiritualizing, but it doesn't actually get to the truth of why you do what you do. What's really driving you, Right? Now, the rest of you around, particularly those of you who, you know, if you're in relationship with somebody, you know that it's not entirely true what they're saying because you live with them. So, you know, right? But both of you have this guarded secret because, you know, you don't want to spill the beans on them or they might spill the beans on you, you know? So, so this is sort of like, and this happens in church too. It's, it's like, oh yeah, sure. Fine. You, you hold on to your, 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 yeah, absolutely. That's the reason why we do what we do. Sure. There's an agreement within the church community never to really dig deep. I remember the, when I was young, cause I just didn't know this, I would ask questions like that. And uh, I was met with that sort of cold, like you just, <clears throat> it's like, you know, when you, when you say something in a group, and everybody goes quiet. You're like, did I just, what did I, what? And then your, your mind goes like 100 miles an hour trying to catch up with what's going on. It's really hard because you know you just said something. Apparently, you don't know what it is, but they do. And you may have asked something or said something that for the group is unacceptable. And so <clears throat> Jesus is that kind of character who says things that causes the group to go real quiet. Um, and, uh, and the Beatitudes, uh, in Matthew chapter five, where Jesus climbs on a mountain and he begins to give this teaching. 
Now, this is similar. Matthew's clever because what Matthew's doing is he's paralleling Jesus's uh, behavior to, this, to, to Moses. Moses climbs up on the mountain and gives the Ten Commandments or comes down and gives the Ten Commandments. And Jesus climbs up on the mountain and gives the Beatitudes. And uh, the Ten Commandments themselves seem pretty, how many, how many would say that the Ten Commandments, if you know what they are, seem pretty clear? Like observe the Sabbath, you know, don't bear false witness. You know, bear false witness, by the way, we, we, we use the word lie. You know, don't lie, don't tell. What actually what it is is don't bear false witness, meaning don't stand in trial against somebody knowing that you, you know the truth, but you're not telling the truth, which is creates devastation for someone else. So that's what the culture was, was going through. So it's very clear, like, don't do that. Don't bear false witness, right? Don't um, have any other gods before God, right? So don't worship any other gods. These seem pretty clear, don't they? Right? But they're still not clear enough, which is why there's 613 more laws given immediately after, right? Because, because, the, because we know, you know, situations... It's difficult sometimes in the situations to, to, to apply that particular command. And so it gets down to really, really nuanced, specific commands. But did you know that in one of the, there's one of the Ten Commandments that is not measurable? There's no way for you to measure it. You shall not covet. Who can measure that? Only the person who's coveting. <laughs> Now, somebody could, could, could pick it out and say, I think you're jealous. I think you're, I think you're envious of this other person. That can be seen, sure, sometimes. But sometimes we can hide it pretty well, too. Right? And, and that was happening, particularly in that culture. What was happening is envy would cause them. See, the thing, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you can look at them as one-offs. Like, okay, it's this, and then it's this, and then it's this. But actually, it's a, it's a continuum. It's, it's this big story that's being told, which is this. You're jealous of other people's possessions. And so therefore what you do is you start to develop this and you know how to do it in the ancient world is you go get some false witnesses to stand with you to testify that this person did something really bad. And then therefore they lose their property and you gain their property and now you possess it. See what's happening is there's this whole kind of culture going on and the Hebrew writer is saying, Coveting is a problem because that's the underlying motivation that's driving your behavior. And so I'm trying to give you laws around this, but ultimately you have to know what's going on inside you and have to be your own judge. Okay. So, okay. So set that aside for a moment. Now we go to the, to the uh, Beatitudes. The Beatitudes take it one step further because in the Beatitudes, you have things like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. That's a little fuzzier. Blessed are the pure in heart, which is what we're going to look at today. Blessed are the pure in heart. How do you measure pure in heart? How do you tell? And, uh, but that's, that's the command that Jesus gives. And then after that, like the Ten Commandments, he gives an explanation of what is going on here. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, this is the breakdown. So I summarize this in just bullet points for you from chapters five or, you know, chapter, the end of chapter five, all the way to the end of chapter seven. So he says, uh, be salt and light. In other words, be helpful. This is the way he starts out immediately after the Beatitudes. Be helpful to the world around you. 
Um, and, and, and so then he says, do not think that I didn't come to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the law for sure. But in what way did he fulfill the law? Because he also breaks the law. Jesus breaks the Hebrew law at times. Right? And he knows what he's doing. And the authors, Matthew, is, is, is aware of this. This is why he's telling the story. He's, he's making this point. Well, of course he breaks the law. Because what he's doing is he's fulfilling the actual purpose or having the, because he's guided by a true motivation, a pure motivation. And so he's aware that things like the Sabbath, which had become <clears throat> a very strict law in the time of Jesus, don't do anything on the Sabbath. The Ten Commandments are make it clear. And we broke that commandment. Ancient Israel predating Jesus broke that command. That's the reason why they ended up in exile. So don't break that law. And we'll put a lot of laws around it to make sure you don't break that law. And Jesus is saying, are you driven by your heart or are you driven by something else? What's pure? What's the truth? If you see someone hurting and you do nothing because you think that, well, the law says I shouldn't do anything. And that's really the excuses. I really don't want to spend money and help somebody or my time because, well, I'm selfish and I don't want to do that. But you're using the law to defend yourself. And Jesus says that's wrong and calls that out, which messes with them because they're so comfortable hiding behind the law, spiritualizing it. And Jesus calls out the true motivation. The reason why you're not helping is because of this. And of course that really doesn't go over at all. <laughs> um, so, so, He's doing this thing in Matthew uh, 5 through 7. He says, the fulfillment of the law, this is what I've come to do. So then he continues on. He says, uh, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. Right? Do not commit adultery. How about divorce? Well, what he says about murder, he says, you've heard it said, you know, don't murder. But I'll tell you, if there's hate in your heart. So now he's going to the heart again. Right? Then he says, oh, oh you think about this whole thing about uh, adultery, Right? Well, actually, it begins in the heart, Jesus says. <laughs> it begins before the act. And there's something else going on inside of you. Then he goes on to divorce, and he addresses divorce, and he says, if for any other reason you divorce other than for this, you're, you're, you're committing adultery yourself. Now, people have wrenched that verse to argue for something that's happening today when, when actually in the flow of his argument, the point he's making again is we know your heart and you know your heart and your heart is to divorce because you've got this ulterior motive. And I'm telling you, unless there's any other reason but marital unfaithfulness, you shouldn't do that because what it was causing for these women who were being divorced by these men, because again, women were just chattel. They were just possessions in the first century. They were, they were not considered free in any, in any sense of, of that word. And so these men would just say, I'm done with her because she burnt my food. Literally. I mean, this is in the literature, in the ancient literature. She burnt my food. I kicked her out. And what it did was it forced them into destitution and into, guess what? Prostitution as a way of surviving. So Jesus says, I, you know, if for any other reason on your heart you're doing this, you got to check your heart. You got to be driven by that. And so he's, he, he calls this out in, in, in this uh, command about divorce. And then oaths, interesting. He says, um, don't, don't make any oaths. Don't swear by heaven or hell. Don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be true. You know, so um, uh, eye for an eye. You know, don't, don't pay back. 
Instead, let, let yourself be taken advantage of. And he goes on, love your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, and then prayer, fasting. Don't do these things for ulterior motives. Check your own heart and recognize what's going on. So when he says prayer, don't pray out loud in front of the crowds and all that. This is what the Pharisees were doing, the religious leaders, to gain attention from other people. And he says, if you, when you pray, hide in your closet, go there. Don't let anybody see you. Because then what happens is you're, you're, you're challenged in that moment to, to be truthful to yourself. Like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I doing it for the reasons of, you know, building up my ego in some way? Right? And so this is what's going on from Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. He says, talks about treasures in heaven. Don't worry. Don't judge others. Ask, seek, knock. And then he finishes with where we are, the narrow and the wide gates. So pure in heart, What's your motivation? What's the motivation lying underneath why we do what we do? Um, Let's, let's, uh, let's play a little game. Anybody want to volunteer to be, to be uh, cross-examined by me? (laughs) Those those who know me are like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Yeah, whatever. Because I'm not going to actually cross-examine it, but it will be, it'll be fun. All right. So. I need a mic and I don't want feedback here. Sue. Oh, good <laughs> All right. So, Sue, come on up. Have a seat next to me. And we'll have this conversation. All right. So, why do you, why do you go to church? I like it. <laughs> okay. What, what, why do you like it? Say more about that. I feel a lot of love. I get an opportunity to love. I learn a lot. I walk away inspired. Okay. Um, Is there any other reason you go to church? I'd feel like I was a lone sheep with a target on my back (laughs) with the enemy out looking for me if I wasn't surrounded by other people Mm -hmm. who believed like me. So give, give something practical about that. What, what, is it, what, what does that mean to you on a practical level? Um, I often have depression. So if I make myself come to church, usually when I come out, I'm not depressed. And the enemy uses depression to get me, to get me to isolate, get me to feel like I'm all alone in the world, and then I get into a deeper hole. But when I'm surrounded by a lot of people that love me and encourage me, then I'm not any longer a victim. I'm a victor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so coming to church helps with the, 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 the depression that oh, you battle definitely, with. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Because I know other people suffer with it too, and we pray yeah. for each other. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's something about that, the community, the coming together that really helps you. Mm-hmm. Any other reason you come to church? Mm. I think um, Paul says something about don't forsake the assembling of Mm -hmm. yourself with other people. So, you know, it's suggested by Paul that you don't just be out there by yourself, that you do come together. Mm -hmm. And when you pray together, when there's two or more, then there's power because Jesus is right there in your midst. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So on a practical level, why do you, why do you think that 
that matters to you, not forsaking and doing this? Because you will find strength in your daily walk when you're with other people who feel the same way, who are committed to you, who pray for you. You're not all by yourself in the world. You're with other people. It's, it can be a lonely world. It can be very lonely, yeah. So this helps with loneliness? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, see what's happening? See, if I dig more, you know, and we're all used to, because we're in church, we're all used to having the immediate sort of like, well, the Bible says this, and that's the reason why I do it. But when we press even more deeply into the practical, it gets real. Because we all deal with loneliness at some point in time in our lives. And there's something about coming together that meets that need. Um, Sue is vulnerable enough, which is awesome, to admit that she struggles with depression, right? And that helps with that. And so we're getting underneath and getting more towards the true motivation. Um, thank you so much. You're welcome. Let me um, give her a big hand. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that took a lot. I appreciate that. Um, so this week I had a, a, a difficult situation arise and on my way home, I had to go through this and I saw it, I saw it in myself. I saw myself do this. Um, and um, what I saw myself do was I'm going, I had this difficult conversation and um, in which I, I was the one being targeted by a couple others. Um, and their leaders, their pastors, and they, and, and I was being targeted and, and drilled with questions um, about my legitimacy. So I was surprised. I never saw it coming. And, and, and I came home and as I'm driving home, I'm saying to myself, man, I thought I was, you know, I'm, I was pure in heart. I really was. I was like, you know, I wasn't even expecting this and I'm going through all this, right? This whole thing is going through my head while in my emotions, I'm also feeling a lot of pain. And I caught myself, I watched myself do this and it took a couple days to see it, but I kept pressing into this. What is the truth about my own heart? And I realized I was presenting myself very much as the victim, as and. And maybe in that situation from the observer, anybody who would observes, observed that may have also said, yeah, it looked like that, that's what happened to you. But still, I positioned myself that way and positioned myself as one who had pure heart and pure intention. And I'm rationalizing this and I'm arguing with myself that I had done everything that I knew to do that was right and said what was right. And yet internally I felt all this ick and I was trying to work it out. Is it because I was caught off guard? Is it because, you know, of the words, the accusations themselves and going through all this stuff. In the end, I realized there was, there was something I was doing and it was that I was avoiding um, pain and I was trying at best to avoid pain at all costs. And my avoidance of pain meant that I had tried in this argument that I was having this discussion with these, these two others, I was trying to convince and persuade them that we weren't that far apart. And I was trying to bridge that gap. And that looks good on the outside, right? It looks like I'm the peacemaker. I'm trying to bridge the thing. But internally, the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm scared. I'm scared of losing my connection with them. And the pain of that is causing me to do everything I can 
to keep that rather than to, and to try to persuade them. Here's the, here's the manipulative part. Try to persuade them that I'm okay. Really, I'm not, I'm not crazy, I'm okay. Instead of being able to say, they have their decision that they have to make and I can honor that. It's gonna hurt, but I can honor that. And the truth, and I have to stand in the truth that that's what's going on with me. So there's motivation that even in that situation was being surfaced. So let me use the, the go back to the previous uh, verses in Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are the poor, or blessed are those who are persecuted. Right? When he's saying blessed are the per- those who are persecuted, it's because that, the, that the actually life's way of testing you and throwing these difficulties in your way is a gift because it surfaces your motivations. See, the whole word pure, the idea of purity, is that which has gone through the fire. It's that which has gone through the fire. There's no way for you to know where your heart is at any given time unless you're faced with difficulty. When someone challenges you, when life situations go in a particular way that is much different than you expected, that is what the gift of that uh, it for you is, is it surfaces what's really going on inside you. And now you can look at it. And now you can choose a different course of action. So when the purity or the purifying fire comes in your life, it shows you the motivation, not for the purpose of accusing you or of crushing you. There is nothing but grace in that moment from God for you. Nothing but grace. You walk in with the truth of this is what's going on inside of me. You know, John chapter three, Jesus says this, you know, the famous verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his life. And then it continues on. And immediately afterwards, God, Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But here's the problem. Men prefer darkness over light because they didn't want the truth of their own heart being exposed. And so they hide. But if you are willing to walk into the light, into the truth, as the difficulty in your life is surfacing the ick inside you, it will purify you. And the promise that Jesus gives is that blessed or happy are the pure in heart because you're gonna see God. The vision, your ability to see is so much clearer when you're pure in heart, isn't it? So let me finish with this last story. Jesus is on the, Peter, Jesus has died and Peter and the disciples have gone back to fishing. So, well, heck with this mission and this plan. Apparently it went to, it, it went somewhere. It went somewhere south fast and we had all this hope and now they're completely devastated and they've decided to go back to their former way of life, which wasn't bad. They're fishermen. So they go back fishing. And then off on the distance, they see on, this, on the beach, this man. And they recognize this looks familiar. He looks familiar. Is, could this actually be? And Peter is so excited, he jumps into the water and he runs to the shore 
And what he sees is Jesus cooking fish over, and John is precise about this, over coal. And as Peter smells the coal, his mind is immediately triggered and he remembers that he had denied Christ three times while warming his hands over a fire made of coal. And the expectation is, I'm going to have to confront this ugly situation again. I thought going back to fishing, I'd be done with this. But the mystery of God, the mystery of this path, this journey, is it will chase you and it will follow you and it will confront you with the ugliness that's present, with the situations, the difficulties, the struggles. It'll keep confronting you until your own motives have been purified in the fire. And Peter might have expected that Jesus would have looked at him and said, man, why did you do that? Why did you betray me? Why did you deny me and allow me to die alone on the cross? And instead, Jesus says, check some fish. You hungry? Really? We're not going to address the white elephant in the room? We're just going to look past it? But then Jesus does something, something utterly beautiful. He says to Peter, Peter, I have a question for you. Now that your motives were surfaced, because you had this grand plan that you were going to sit with me and my new kingdom, you thought I was going to be the one who would overthrow Rome and set up this kingdom and you'd be in power with me and you were ready to die for me but then you found out that that wasn't my plan and you were devastated by it, but it surfaced your true motivation, which was more about yourself and about power over other people than it was about dying in love for other people. So Peter, I have a question for you. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. Peter, I have a question for you. Yeah. Peter, do you love me? (sighs) Yes, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Go back to doing what it was that you were doing. Peter, I have a question for you. Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yeah. I do, and you know that I do, Jesus. Why do you keep asking me the same question? Then feed my sheep. Go back to it. Go back to it because now your heart has been purified. Well, how? Because I'm still conflicted. I still have all this stuff in me. Because you're never going to be perfect. The issue isn't about perfect motivation. It's about purified motivations. Perfection is about I'm performed, that I've got it all together. Purified is, okay, I allow the difficulties to do whatever they have to do within me. And that's the way Jesus finishes actually with Peter. He says, you know what? You're going to end up having to die for me. (laughs) Like what a grand finish and finale to that invitation of come finish. You know, hey, you want to sign up for this? This is the grand thing that we're doing. 
not going to mean you're going to sit with me in a physical kingdom ruling other people, which makes you feel really good. It's about you're going to actually have to die for me. But here's the thing. If you move in love and you call up the love that's within you this week, and I'm speaking to all of you and to me, is if we call up the love every time difficulty, hardship comes our way, we have a fight with somebody and it troubles us and we want to defend ourselves or we want to attack or we want to pull away, you're never going to get your motivations perfect. Never. And so that's fine because there's grace for you. The situation is just calling up and it's just purifying you. But if you will call up the love that's within you and look at the person you're with and choose the act of love in that moment, then you, like Peter, are following Jesus and you're doing exactly what Jesus said, which is you're going to have to die at times for me. It's going to hurt. But if you do it, you're going to see God and it's the best experience you will ever have. Your vision will be clear. Your heart will be pure and you'll be able to move forward in happiness. Blessed, happy are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. The alternative is that you fight all the time to defend yourself, to prove yourself, to repress that ugliness, to do everything you can to keep yourself looking good on the outside. That alternative does not produce happiness. It produces depression. It produces anxiety. And there's so many anxious Christians, so many anxious people. When you finally can just go, okay, I guess it's not about presentation and perfection. I guess it's about purity. You want to purify me. I allow the situation, the difficulty to do what it has to do in me. And I choose love. And so this morning, if you can hear Jesus saying to you, calling your name and saying, do you love me? Then choose this path. Choose this path. Be pure in heart. Those who are pure in heart will be happy and will see God. Let's stand and worship. And during our time of worship, as we sing, let's just meditate on those words and hear your own name called in that moment. Do you love me? Do you love me? And feed my sheep. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. These things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.